All right. Welcome to Romero Records Podcast. Today we have on Ben Brown. How's it going, man? Pretty good. Pretty good. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah. So um, I believe Rachel just... Uh, hold on. Actually, were you on the 30 for 30? 30, uh, 30 under 30? No, um, but Prince and James, the gentleman that I work for, he was. Oh, okay. Um, That's crazy. <laughs> I'm not sure if you, you know of him. Gentleman no, with, with locks, he he um, is into film and TV production. Okay. But yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we recently started reaching out to people who were on that list. Really? And um, so I let my wife schedule all the podcasts. Nice. So uh, I didn't know if you were on the list or not, but that is kind of funny. That It is. It is. <laughs> Very wild. Um, so yeah, so you do photography. Do you do videography as yeah, well? Yeah, I'm or? getting more into videography. Okay. Now, of course, the learning curve for videography is a bit more steep. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, it's taking a little bit more time. Um but yeah, I'm getting more into it and starting piece by piece. Um, right now, I'm focusing a lot on audio. Mm-hmm. Um, I've understood and learned a lot of things about um, capturing video. Um, in addition to that, it's just the editing piece that's that's the largest roadblock for me. So I think that's been one reason um, how difficult it is and also how time-consuming it is, um, mm-hmm. the editing process I'm referring to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's been one of the main reasons why I haven't gone fully into it. <laughs> so, oh, okay. But yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, a lot of people, you know, that's, to me, it all seems like one thing because I have, like, when I started doing photos for mm-hmm. people, I, I was just like, oh, I might as well just do videos as well. Right. But that's just who I am. Like, mm-hmm. I'm naturally, I like to just do stuff. Uh, Some people just, like, one track mine. Like, I, I rap and I also do I audio engineer. Mm. Like, I make beats. I nice, do it all. Nice. And then same with, I do photos and videos. So, mm-hmm. I just... I'm not great, like the best at any of that, but I'm pretty good at yeah. all of it. So right, right. that's just who I've always been. I don't stick with one thing and master it. I just kind of yeah. migrate. So with, I guess you just got attracted to photography and mm-hmm. just decided that's that's my thing. Yeah, it's actually a very peculiar story. Um, and I find myself, in, I relate to you a lot with respect to not mastering one thing, but just kind of finding pockets of of interest in a lot of different areas. Um, and I think that's a, a nice way to pre, prelude or preclude, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but uh, um, my story with starting in photography. I was um, currently, I was in the in, at the University of Memphis studying to get my bachelor's, got in mathematics, and I was in a very difficult class. I remember uh, the bead of sweat that dripped down my forehead as I, <laughs> as I tried to do a math problem and and the the noise and the chatter of the students behind me that I automatically internalized as them talking about me, even though I was just in my head. And, and I was just so stressed about how difficult it was and, and fearful of not passing. So mm. I said, hey, I have to find a way out. And that same week, my roommate at the time, my best friend, Jonathan Gales, um, he also went to the U of M with me. Um, he went to a pawn shop. He picked up a DLSR, a Canon T3i, I believe, uh, from a pawn shop for a little bit less than a hundred hundred bucks. Dang. And uh, um, <laughs> from there, that's what it started yeah, with, yeah. and I just began to go for it, and I yeah. enjoyed it, and found a passion, and and there was a lot to learn, and I loved learning, so I went for it. That's crazy. Like yeah. it's it's so wild to me how like a hobby 
can be something that you can make money with for forever. Yeah, and, exactly. And, and I always said, like, if I if I could have been like just amazing at any sport, it'd be golf because uh, you can play course. that to your freaking sixty or seventy. Exactly, and make a bunch of money while doing it. Exactly. So that's same for photography. Like you know, you some great photographers are mm-hmm. up there in age, and you know that. It can be as difficult as you want it to be. Yeah. But it's also as simple as holding a camera and pressing a button. Yeah. But it's the the amount of skill that you can develop quickly is also uh, the benefit of photography, like yeah. to in, in developing. Right. You know, with football, you're not going to just never work out and and never do any kind of like athletic wise and then be like, I'll be in the NFL next year. Like it's not going to happen. Right. No. But you know, if, if you do like just study photography and, and study different things of lighting Mm -hmm. and, and working on um, angles and stuff like that, like you could be a professional photographer in no time. Right. But it just takes some getting used to it and and, and studying. Um, So, you doing mathematics is pretty wild. First of all, let's go back to that. <laughs> yeah. Um, what What were you planning on doing? So um, I knew that I wanted to go to school, to college after graduating high school. I was uh, pretty decent in school. I wouldn't say it was easy, but um, I was desperate and destined to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that interest in succeeding may be... Um, it may come from many different areas, maybe social social um, issues at the time. Who knows? I, I don't remember. But I was wanting to go forward with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I initially thought to go for business, but my mom um, had recognized that I was great with math. So uh, she said, hey, you should go for this. It's, it's rare. And uh, since you have this skill set, I think you can go pretty far if you want to. So I went for it. And uh, um, first year on campus... Um, I worked really hard. I got a 4.0, and I was just destined to be great. And I just continued the process. So, and ultimately, um, it was the same way as I progressed towards my master's. So I got my bachelor's in mathematics, and I was in that same year and, and thinking about how difficult the class was. And ultimately, I passed it. Um, and uh, I, at the time, I knew that math was great, but it wasn't specific and it wasn't um, unique enough to find a position I think that would be my own, yeah, that would be yeah. for me. I mean, because of course, if I know math, that's great, but um, there's no one, who, I don't think there is one person that's going to want to hire just someone to do math problems all day. So <laughs> I need to find a specific area of interest uh, to make me more marketable. Mm-hmm. So I went forward and I got my master's in, in statistics um, because I knew that I, if I have a master's degree, I'd be much more marketable. Uh, but it was all just a process of, of knowing that I want to continue, I want to be marketable and, and make myself um, pretty successful in life, and and I had been told that education was toy. So, so as far as being like a statistician, like what is I don't know, like the holy grail, like job that you plan on doing? Um, or that, is there one? I don't know. So I actually I, I don't uh, like statistics anymore. Okay, and uh, um, just like most people in yeah. college, they just <laughs> veer off from their major. Yeah, and it's crazy. I mean, I got a whole, two whole degrees, but I don't want to use it. Not okay. only because it is very difficult, and uh, um, especially after you graduate and you don't, you're not consistently in the field um, practicing the stuff that you've learned. It just begins to disperse and, and disappear in your head. So um, one reason I don't plan to go forward with with statistics is. 
because I forgot a lot and I mm. don't feel confident in my ability to continue to do it. Okay. Um, but not only that, it's just um, corporate America and the corporate world uh, can be a bit rough and it's not the best place for those that are more empathetic and, and, um, and uh, also it can be based on the position that you find yourself in can stifle a lot of growth. Mm. So I don't plan to continue to grow for um, a degree or a career in statistics, but more so just find a lane within the arts. So okay, if that answers your question, I hope I did. Yeah, I mean, it's like the ability for people to like actually hone in on like a specific job yeah. for some reasons like impossible. Yeah. Like most people, they're like, well, I want to um, – you know, be a teacher, mm-hmm. like, cool. What kind of teacher? Yeah. And like, what school, what yeah. state, right. what city, yeah. you know, like what age group? Yeah. yeah. What yeah. age? So like many all, different factors. There are so many different jobs mm-hmm. that you could literally focus in on. Mm-hmm. And like one of my best friends, uh, John, he, he was telling me this, like he said that he was talking to like his granddad, his granddad worked for, I think it was like NASA or okay. something. Nice. And, um, he was explaining to him that because John said he wanted to like I think he said he just wanted to be an engineer gotcha. and um, but his granddad was like well, what job do you mm. want like what is the specific job like who do you want to work for like if you let's say you want to work for NASA like mm. what division of NASA yeah. what exactly position do you want to be in right and that is how you can shape like. What you do, because yeah. you could literally be wasting your life yeah. trying to get a job or a career field right. when you could know exactly the position and, and, go to, for it. and go for it, talk to the right people, be in the right places, and it, it saves you, you literally your life. Yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> time in your life. So that's why I was curious. I'm like, yeah. what even... When I hear people are like math majors, I'm mm-hmm. like, what is that? Like, yeah. What, <laughs> what, are you, what are you gonna do with that? So right. it's it's pretty wild that it's something that everybody uses, mm-hmm. but nobody knows really how you would use it exactly. as, as like a, a field of study. So right, uh, right. And I ultimately I'm very grateful for it. It it taught me a lot of resilience and um it also gave me a, a logical mind to process things in a very rational way. Mm. Um and uh, I, I, if I have a problem, I know that if I use repetition and consistency to learn techniques to solve that problem, and I, um, and although there may be many solutions, if I find a, a way to troubleshoot and go down one path, I can get to a solution, and and it's just so many different aspects of life that I learned through the process of solving math problems, and and uh, I'm really grateful for it, honestly. Even though I don't plan to use the degree, um, but yeah, I'm really grateful for it. It gave me a mindset that I I find invaluable. So, so when you figured out you weren't doing uh, things that revolved around math specifically, mm-hmm. and you got involved with photography, and mm-hmm. what what were you planning on doing? Did you right. just like, well, let me just take it slow, or you like, no, let me hit this hardcore? Like, what what was your thoughts? So my process with pursuing photography and and now uh, videography and some small scale, um, it was in tandem with my pursuits for a job and a career. So um, I started photography about three, three and a half uh, years ago. And uh, um, I was in my bachelor's at the time. I, pre- I proceeded to get my master's. So there was two additional years of me practicing photography and also learning statistics. Um, 
And also in the same breath, I was working for uh, this company at the University of Memphis called the Uni- University of Memphis Research Foundation, okay. for short, UMRF Ventures. Um, and we focus on creating business solutions for companies in the area um, through technology. So that gave me a, a nice uh, introduction to uh, information technology, how to analyze data and uh, process data and use it for ways to improve our processes in general. Um, and I think that was the, the starting point for a career within information security. So although I didn't uh, really have a focus or a desire to uh, go more into statistics, I was uh, relieved that I could find a haven within information security. Um, so after graduating my master's, I got a job at FedEx working for the standards team. Um, wasn't as technical, but um, it was very um, informative and I learned a lot. Um, but there was a contract position, so I started working that job and I began to work for another company as an e-discovery consultant um, based on the skills that I learned through the previous position and um, mainly working with uh, legal clients and processing digital documents that are used for these cases that these illegal clients and actuaries and, and lawyers would use. Um, but yeah, at the same time, doing all this stuff, working in these careers, I was continuing to take pictures because I enjoyed it. It was a hobby. And I just began to scale. Um, and in the process of, of this hobby, I found resources and networks that I enjoyed that allowed me to learn more about the industry. And then suddenly when when I didn't find an interest in working in the position that I was in, and I stopped, I just decided to go full force into photography and into film and TV production. So that's that's pretty cool. Yeah, like, I really enjoy people who um, are willing to just do different things. Like some people feel like you know this is my thing. This is the only thing I want to do, but. It's just not me. It's not for me. Like I, as I said, I do so much. I do so many different things that um, there's never. I'm never bored because yeah. I've got so much that I can do. And I always look at it like this: like you got one life, yeah. just enjoy it the best you can. Because it's not like it's not like you're saving your time. Like oh, let me, let me just do this, and yeah. uh, when I die, when I come back, you mm-hmm. know, I'm gonna do this other thing. It's yeah, like no. <laughs> it's not a thing. So yeah. might as well just. Do, do all you can while, yeah. while you have the chance, exactly. especially while you're young. Like right. I'm 29 and I feel like I'm 18 because there's still so much that to I learn. feel like I, yeah, to learn, to, to figure out. Um, I was, I was doing a podcast with a professor at, um, I forgot what school he, he teaches at, but, um, he was talking about, we were talking about like, there's like some formula they say that, um, as you get older, your creativity starts to round off and it starts to go down. And um, I was asking him, like, do you agree with that? And he was like, yeah, I think so. Um, He said that it seems like young people have the energy to be wrong. And I was like, that's pretty good. Like, I never really thought about that because, you know, when you're young, if you're wrong, it's okay. But when you're old, you don't even have time to be wrong. Right. <laughs> it's like you you're not it's like you're you're too you know, you're too invested in the rest of your life that you're like, uh, I you know, I, I wanna just, you know, be do what I know. Yeah. And I was like Do what's safe and what's yeah. what's secure. Um, wow, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean the ability for people to uh have that time to just experiment and mm. and do 
think do dumb stuff. Like <laughs> that's that's another thing. Like when you're older, everybody looks at you like, you know, why are you doing dumb things? Yeah. But when you're younger, you're expected to do dumb things yeah. because you don't know any better. Yeah. Like you haven't had a chance to experience life. Like yeah. the world is so many years old that you're only, you know, if you're 20, mm-hmm. that's nothing compared to how long the earth has been around. Right. So you don't have, you haven't collected enough knowledge yeah. and wisdom. So to be able to experiment and just do different things yeah. is, it's so beneficial. Yeah. So for you, like you, you've started this photography mm-hmm. and, and you're starting learning. What did, what did you do to learn? Like gotcha. what were you doing? Well, I, I definitely want to say that learning is the key. And knowing how to learn is the most important part, and that's why I was impressed with you when when you uh, when we first began to communicate, and you told me that uh, your interest in podcasting was was initiated because you wanted to learn, and um, I think that was my saving grace for when I decided to to stop studying um, statistics and going into information security, and uh, just begin to go more into photography knowing that um, I had learned how to learn through school and through this degree um, and realizing that, I mean, similar to what you said, um, when you're young, you have room to mess up. And and the failures that come from messing up are pivotal towards the growth that comes from it. Yeah. And uh, without that failure, I wouldn't be here today. Um, and I think just recognizing that, um, for one, I wasn't happy um, in that position, and two, I know how to learn, and and if I push myself forward, I can do anything that I want to. If I apply consistency and repetition, um, and that just was this the spark, the spark that you know allowed me to progress forward. Um, and uh, I think just learning how to learn and and knowing that learning is filled with failure, but um, the fear of failure is the the issue. Um, but if you overcome that fear and you continue to learn despite your failures, I mean, you'll end up in a better place regardless. And I think. Um, and your question was about learning, just realizing that if you do something consistently and you, you do it over and over again and you practice and you're diligent with it, um, regardless of where you started, you're going to be better off tomorrow. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Do, do you do any kind of like, are you more of a visual learner or you like to just read a book? How do you like to figure things out? Uh, you know, I'm not quite sure the type of learner I am, but I think... I try to combine all of them because mm-hmm. um, we have five senses. We have our eyes, our, our nose for smell. We have a taste, our ears, and our hands. And if we combine them all um, as much as possible, um, it does a magical thing in our brain that, of course, we can't understand, but allows us to retain information and, and things more. Um, and I've even tested it out with uh, staying in shape. Mm-hmm. Um, I know throughout college, I, uh, I did a lot of running, mm-hmm. but then after a point, I wanted to gain some weight. So I began to lift weights, but I'm not sure if I lifted improperly or what, but I began to have back irritation. Mm. Um, but I still wanted to uh, be in shape, and I knew that if I ran consistently, there would also create problems for my joints. So I was just trying to find a way to to still uh, be active um, and do it in a way that keeps me motivated, which was the major roadblock with me starting an exercise program and stopping not being motivated. and uh, um, so I tested it out. I decided to learn how to play basketball. Um, I think this was sparked by a, a long history of not being chosen on the basketball court and being on the bench uh, and being embarrassed by not being able to uh, perform the way that I want to. Yeah. So I said, hey, let me learn how to play basketball. So I started with one ball, began to dribble around the block. 
um, with the right hand, and then the next day with the left hand, and the next day with the two hands, and then the next day around the back, through the legs, and all this <laughs> other stuff. Um, and me testing out this idea of doing something consistently and doing it in a repetitious manner, it allowed me to to get better. Um, so yeah, I, I think I think that answered your question about how I learn and. Um, yeah, so I think so. You just explain how to dribble in the nerdiest way possible, <laughs> but that is like that's how like a grown up kid would explain how they how their coach taught them how to play ball. Yeah, and it's it's always I've always been fascinated at comparing how kids learn compared to how adults learn, mm. and I I feel like kids are just like these mini scientists, mm. like they're just walking talking. Uh, nuclear scientists ready to just cause destruction, right? And and they don't mind, like as again, like you know, they've got room to be wrong, right? And they're completely fine with doing dumb stuff and mm-hmm. and finding out, like, oh, that that was the right thing to do, yeah. Or like, oh, I get in trouble if I do that thing, yeah. So like for kids, like for them to learn how to dribble and stuff like that, like their their body's getting used to motor functions mm-hmm. and all these things and. When adults like we already know how that works, but we still have to like learn it. Like yeah. I, I know nothing about figure skating. Right. But if I went to go do it, I'd be like, all right, I know this blade can move certain ways on ice, and mm-hmm. there's probably already grooves on the ice from somebody else skating on it, and my body has to shift certain ways. Like I get the physics of it. Yeah. A kid probably isn't under like thinking about the physics of it. They're just like, oh, I'm gonna just go skate. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but still, like that learning curve mm-hmm. is is always been interesting to me because we have. It's really like the way you learn, I think, is based off of your past experiences. Yeah. So like the more experiences you have, mm-hmm. I think the the shorter your learning curve is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why I am able to like learn things quickly is yeah. because I've done so many things. Right. And I feel like people who haven't done that many things, it takes them longer to learn because they haven't had enough experiences yeah. to be able to be like, oh. You probably shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't do that. Right. You should do this. Yeah. And so now I've just like shortened the amount of time it's going to take me to to do certain things. But because of what I learned when I failed in experience 35 and how that also contributed to me learning experience 36, which contributed to 77 experience, which allows me to expedite this learning curve. Exactly. Wow, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all about like I, f- I feel like when you are trying to get better at mm-hmm. things you need to be just so analytical. Like you, you need to figure out like, how can I grasp a concept in the shortest amount of time Mm. to be efficient, but then also make sure that I'm getting like the knowledge that I, that I really need to. Cause sometimes, um, so my wife is this way. It kills me. She (laughs) will try to Mm. learn everything before she begins. Ah, yeah. I am not that way. Just do it. Yes. I am a just do it and you will figure out what you shouldn't be doing. Mm. And she sees it's like, but you're going to waste time. I'm like, I don't feel it that way. I feel like I'm going to waste time by trying to learn everything and then starting. And then I'm going to be like, oh, I didn't need half that stuff. Right. But she's like, well, I'm going to waste time if I just jump in because I feel like 
I've wasted my time like trying to learn the stuff while mm-hmm. I'm doing it because I I've been messing up. Like I keep yeah. messing up, and I'm, that's a waste of time to her. Ah. But different strokes for different folks, I guess. Yeah, I understand both scenarios. I mean, of course, um, I think I prepare a lot for things, but I have a balance of also once I learn something, I get so excited about it, so I try to go apply it, and I think um, doing that gives me the failures and and the space to mess up, which is the the spark that i mentioned which was needed for the growth um so yeah is is there a certain thing that you like about photography like uh is it lighting is it just holding the camera taking the picture mm-hmm. lining a, a person up yeah. or or animals or yeah what is it that you like about it so it starts out uh eradicating all of those things um and we'll get pretty deep with this but um I think it started with just a desire to be accepted. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I'm i not sure which book this came from, but I read a book about, uh, I forget what the book was about or which book I'm referring to, but the story that I'm referring to is about the gold rush. I, been, I believe it happened in 1914. If I'm incorrect, please correct me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, of course, there's the gold rush and everyone says, hey, I want gold, so let's move, let's sell our house, let's shell, sell our shoes and whatever we can, let's pack up and go. Let's go dig for gold. Mm-hmm. Um, so everyone went for gold and um, some found it, some didn't. But there was a wise man that said, okay, all these people are searching for gold. Hmm, how can I capitalize on this? Let me put my thinking cap on. What do people uh, do when they dig for gold? They... Um, have gear. Um, they have to dig with a shovel. So let me create a shovel business and and use this tool to fuel their desire to get gold, and I get rich in the process. Because even though they may try to find gold and they may not find it or may find it, they're still going to need a shovel to do that attempt. Yeah. So they're going to consistently come to me saying, "Hey, Ben, I need this shovel. Um, sell it to me." And uh, I think I relate that to my process for photography and uh, uh, my own insecurities and uh, um, seeing how I reacted to how beautiful people were on Instagram. Mm. And if I can highlight their excellence and their beauty um, and uh, um, be the tool that they use to also highlight their own beauty, I think that maybe I can make myself more marketable as well. Mm. Um, And this is just speculation. I'm not sure if this is uh, set in stone. I haven't talked to a therapist about this, but I'm speculating that my desire for acceptance um, within this world, uh, especially the social media age, was the spark and the the driving force that allowed me to go more into photography. And uh, in doing that, I just um, I received joy and appreciation from from the people that were being made beautiful through my work. Mm-hmm. And um, I just continued to explore and create. And that I believe that. That joy and that benefit contributed to me wanting to improve and learn more about lighting and also enjoying lighting and and coloring and and framing and composition in the same process. So if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there there's so many aspects of, of photography that right. it's just like music. Like a lot of people don't realize there's so many different facets of jobs that yeah. go into like the music industry. And same thing for photography. Like, I, uh, do you know who Michael Butler Jr. is? I feel like I, I recognize I recognize the name. He does photography, okay. and like I had him yes. on my podcast. And um, great, great work, by the way, Michael Butler. Yeah, Jr. <laughs> <laughs> he does phenomenal work. Yeah, but um, 
gosh, what happened? Oh, he was he was talking about all the different jobs and like positions that uh, like a film mm-hmm. might have, and I was like, oh, oh, I didn't <laughs> I didn't know about all these it's things. Dense. <laughs> yeah, and you might just want to do you know the one thing, but usually I think when you get like the more I guess professional mm-hmm. that you get the more people are doing that one thing. Yeah. So you you have a dedicated person for lighting and yeah. a dedicated like um camera person. Like right. you've got all these people who like that's their job and that's what they always do. Exactly. So that's that's pretty interesting to um you know, even though I say I love doing so many things mm-hmm. and, and talk communicating with people who do many things, but there, when you get to a certain level, like you gotta be that SME, you know, yeah, you gotta that, be a subject matter expert on how to do this because yeah. that's what that's what people want. If they yeah. know you're that guy, that's what they're gonna hire is you for that for that position. Yeah, I agree one hundred percent, and I think that's um, that's been the direction for me um, as I move not only from photography, um, well, not move. Not only from, I didn't mean to say that, but as I moved from photography into the film and TV space, um, and my desire to learn about uh, videography um, was also based on my love for photography and and how things look when they're uh, lit on Mm. screen and the motion picture and how um, it's like a series of of, of photos in one. And um, I connected with this gentleman named Jason Thibodeau. Um, he is a local director of photography uh, in the city. Directors of photography, director of photography, that's a position uh, in film, and it's mainly the camera guy, the guy that has the big camera with the cool setup, and uh, he he mans and captures the content that is captured. Um, so I connected with him, and I began to work with him and shadow him and volunteer with him, and that allowed me to get more access to the industry and. Uh, um, I found a way to, in addition to work on photography, expand my portfolio and expand myself within this space. Um, so from there, I began to just work as a PA, which is a production assistant on set. Um, they're typically the bottom of the barrel on a set, <laughs> but they're very pivotal. Yeah. They often get very little respect, but without them, the set doesn't run. Mm-hmm. Um, they're the ones that make the runs and pick up the food. And of course, they eat last, but they, they are very important with how things flow. So I started working as a PA and then uh, slowly learning through under Jason, I, I began to work as an AC, an assistant camera, which is okay. the second man to um, the DP, the director of photography. Um, and um, now I'm getting more into sound, sound, mm. um, capturing sound. In yeah. fact, just today, um, I'm, I worked on a documentary about black midwives at Choices, which is a a women's health and reproductive center in the city of Memphis. Um, and um, I began this entire oration based on uh, uh, me highlighting being specific with sound, um, just to give you some information. So um, it was about August of last year. I wanted to expand more, and I realized that the, the community of, of filmmakers in the city, although it's not as dense as other areas at mm-hmm. all, um, there are pockets within these categories on set that are more dense than others. Mm. Um, everyone wants to be the camera guy. Everyone wants to be an actor or director. But not a lot of people think about the gaffers or the grip team, which are essentially the team that uh, build the set. They okay. gr- bring all the lights. They um, they build the infrastructure that the camera 
um, operates on um, in the, um, the audio department that's very seldomly thought about. And uh, specifically, black audio engineers in the city, it, were pre- it was pretty rare. So mm. I decided, hey, I should learn it because it's <laughs> rare. And, and if they're willing to pay me, I'm willing to do it. So um, You last- became that shovel businessman. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Precisely. I, I, <laughs> I peeped the analogy, man. That's, that's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, last last year, about August, I began to shadow on this gentleman who also works under Jason Thibodeau, the director of photography that I started with, um, as a sound engineer slash gaffer. And he began to teach me all he knew. And I began to learn more and more. And uh, now I'm beginning to find a space as an audio engineer. And I, I think I've worked uh, more audio gigs this year on set than any other gig. So, so yeah. Yeah, I think audio is something that's is completely underrated in yeah. movies because like uh I've I've started to see these like TikToks yeah. of people um they'll say like play this audio over like your last video or yeah. or play this audio um with the last video you have of your dog or right. something like that. And it's it's there to show people the difference that a song can do yeah. to to a moment. Right. Like um a huge thing they'll do is like sports. They'll take um I think it's like Titanic music mm-hmm. and add it to a very a crazy moment in sports. Yeah. So it's like somebody hitting a buzzer beater shot yeah, or like a, a Hail Mary pass and they'll play like Titanic music over it. And yeah. it's always great yeah. because that's what it is. It's dramatic music over something that crazy that happened. Right. And that's it's such a, a beautiful thing to have uh to sync that music up with with the uh, video because yeah. it's like what what can we do like what sounds create a vision for people and i guarantee yeah. you if you took maybe somebody who used to have vision and then became blind or something like that if you just played them certain audio they would be able to maybe not literally like describe what they're looking at but describe to you like something of what they might think is going on yeah. based off the the sound the music that right. they're hearing so exactly. that's something I, i'm really interested in yeah that's i i agree 100 i mean even sometimes when i hear songs i automatically envision myself in a movie and, oh, yeah, and yeah. i probably even get in, get into the part and, and yeah. act cool in a way to to um bring to life uh, the music that's being played so yeah, yeah. dude how fa- do you, have you seen black panther I have, yep, dude. Yep. How fantastic was that? That's it was the soundtrack, the music, everything. Amazing, amazing, and it really sparked my interest in sound. Um, oh, really? That that movie, in addition to others, I'm just seeing how um, the music moves individuals, and and there's a sense of empowerment that comes from hearing audio and watching it, and and how it allows you to connect more to the project that you're watching. So. Yeah, there's like certain, um, I don't know if you play video games, but um, there's certain video games with like iconic soundtracks, mm. uh, mainly uh, the Need for Speed gotcha. video games, uh, some of the Grand Theft Autos, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> like Def Jam for Vendetta, yeah. like those old games, like those games are known for their soundtracks. Mm. And it's because, and you know, some of the sports games like Madden, um, 2K, mm-hmm. but they just immerse you into the like the culture of what you're playing. Exactly. And when you've got those certain, you know, the certain music, the certain people on those soundtracks, it just it's like a it's like a memory. It's yeah. like a, a comfort memory that right. you have. Cause if you're just driving down the road 
and um, you've just got your you know, Apple Music or Spotify playlist playing, and you hear that song, you're yeah. like, oh, that's that song from such, and just, I don't know, it excites you. Yeah, like it you, does. You just get happy to think about a memory that, of you playing that game or yeah. something. So it, it's pretty cool. And it kind of puts you in that, in that moment again. So Yeah. Um, so when you're doing audio, what specifically are you doing? Is it like vocals? Is it um, folly? What is it? So um, with my particular um, experience, it's just capturing. Um, so, for example, let's think of a narrative or, or a, a, a film, a short film or a movie. Um, the audio that um, the actors uh, and the words they speak and, and what they say, uh, that's what I capture. And a lot of it is is. Um, believe it or not, cutting out sound. So oh, I'll, okay. if I come in here and I'm trying to prepare for production, and let's say I'm wanting to record this uh, particular video, um, and we didn't have these mics, and I just wanted to capture it with the boom mic that I have, and uh, there would probably be a lavalier mic yeah. um, that I would attach to the person, but I would uh, listen for things that would distract and 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 uh, create white noise that I don't want, that would um, prevent the audience and the listener from hearing the voices clearly. Like the hum of this Exactly, yeah, yeah. I was going to point to the refrigerator first, and and then um, if there's um, a thump, thumping of a bass of, of someone, um, of course I wouldn't be able to remove that unless I asked them to, but yeah. if I could, I would ask them, hey, could you turn it down a little bit? We're capturing audio in here for a movie. Um, and uh, just stuff like that, um, making sure that um, the audio that I'm capturing is clear and crisp mm. and that it doesn't detract from the editor's ability to control the audio and to control what the actors or whoever speaking that I'm recording uh, are saying and, and, and speaking um, so that if I want to, I can I can just use that clear audio and maybe put a track of music over it or so on and so forth. So, Yeah, there's, there was a, a certain movie I was watching like behind the scenes type stuff. And they were filming in an area that was close to an airport. Yeah. And so planes kept flying over. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. I didn't think about that because they literally have to stop filming. Yeah. Just because this plane is going. Exactly. <laughs> and I don't have control over the plane. So yeah. I can't stop it. So we have to stop. Yeah. That could literally, like, where you're filming, the time of day you're filming. Like, I tried to book this podcast, like, um, usually at nighttime because mm-hmm. the there's a train that goes by. Yeah. And I don't want the train to but I'm telling you, like, I think this is the eighth podcast I've done here in this building. Mm-hmm. That train's probably come by at least six times. And it mm-hmm. might come by during this podcast. Wow. I don't know. But um it's just random. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh man, like <laughs> the sound that it, you can clearly hear it. Yeah. So if it comes through, it, it comes through. But um yeah, it's it's just like the timing and and the place that you're at, like you have all these factors that yeah. you have to think about, mm-hmm. even if you're, you know, doing a nature scene. I don't know if like uh, movies or TV shows want to just pump that fake bird noises in there or, yeah. or if they just want to film where they know there's going to be birds. So they're just like, yeah, if we catch the birds, we catch the birds yeah. and let it just be a part of the part of the sound. Well, they, they try their best to eradicate the sound as much as possible. And they, they want the control to find bird sounds elsewhere or even go out and record it and add that individually. So. Is there like a way that you um, capture the noises specifically, or is it just like um, you know just having a mic and capturing like ambient noise? Yeah, well, there are different types of, of um, 
noise capturing items, but particularly the boom of mic is, is consistently what it's been referred to um, in my experience. And it's just this, this pole that can be extended and has this XLR cable inside, and there's this very um, direct uh, mic at the very end, and I can point into a certain direction and capture the audio. Um, now, of course, I'm sure based on your experience with light, um, sound and light are very similar. So, for example, if I move that light that's, that's capturing us or lighting us closer to us, it will be overexposed. So you'll probably have to reduce the brightness of the camera just to compensate for it. And they'll also allow the environment to be darker as well because the light is closer to us and uh, we don't have to worry too much about um, the, the light spilling onto the background because it's as close to us as we need it to be. Um, it's kind of like that with audio. So um, if I want to capture this, this water bottle and how the sloshing of the water um, creates this noise, um, if I have the mic right here, I can hear pretty consistently, but I can also probably hear the cars as they drive by. But if I, if I move the mic as close as I can to the water bottle, it's going to make the, the noise too loud, so I'm going to have to reduce the noise a little bit. And that still allows me to capture the audio proficiently with the water bottle, but I don't hear as much external noise. So I think just combining these, these tools and the, the particular boom mic that, that we use and identifying how sound travels and if I'm closer to something, I can hear it better. Thus, I can reduce the noise that I capture and that'll cut, that cuts out the external noise from the environment. Just using those tools in general allows me to be more refined with how I capture audio. So, What's your favorite part about it? Um, it, it really, there's a lot of, how do I describe it? You don't notice it until you, you're in a situation where you have to notice it. Mm. And, and we've, most of us, we, we have our hearing, we've had it for all our lives. So there are things that just happen that, um, we're, we're, it's normal to us and, and being intentional with listening to things and being able to control how much volume you have and and you have a better ability to hear things it just is really interesting to see how the world sounds and um, to see how the leaves crunch as you walk on them and and hear the birds and just all these other elements that you don't don't traditionally consider um, when you're just going throughout your day normally so yeah I've got a friend who um, he was like my first good friend that did photography and, and videography and um, when I started like helping him with that kind of stuff, that what is what made me appreciate certain sounds yeah. because because you have to add those into videos. And um, one time we were doing something, I forgot what it was. He's like, "Did you hear that?" And I was like, "What?" And then he like pointed out. He's like, "That's a good sound." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" But but from then on out, like I really thought about like you know what I'm hearing in movies and, yeah. and TV shows, but. Also, just in natural life, yeah. Like just you know, for everybody who can hear that, like this, just certain sounds are they can just sound so good, you yeah. Know? It's just so rich, yeah, uh, of a noise as you're talking about, just like crunching of leaves or it, when you hear like you could crunch leaves and it could just make you think of fall, yeah. And so now you're thinking of fall, you're thinking of marshmallows, you're thinking of bonfires, yeah. you're thinking of um, camp, like all these things. And just from leaves crunching. Right, right. <laughs> so there's such rich sounds. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. You can even extract negative emotions from individuals based yeah. on the sound too. So, for example, my mom, she had always gotten on to me because I, at one point, I chewed with my mouth open. Mm -hmm. and she hated it. 
<laughs> and and um, for those that are listening, prepare to hear my mouth <laughs> as I as I create this sound that it's pretty icky. And of course, I'm sure you're disgusted and you're like, "Ugh, Ben, why are you doing that?" But I'm showing you, hey, um, you can also use sound to create negative emotions that your viewers can use um, as they are learning and ingesting the story. So. So that makes me think of ASMR. Yeah, exactly. And my wife, she's one of those people that just hates that. <laughs> and like some people, just those like certain noises, like you were just talking about with your mouth moving, like mm-hmm. those are things that just negatively like just trigger people. Yeah. They hear a noise and they're like, oh, what is that? Yeah, exactly. Um, or the scraping of a chalkboard. Oh, that's or, the worst. Yeah. That's the worst. Um, if since you are into this kind of stuff, I would suggest you go look at, um, there's a video on YouTube. It's, I think it's Mortal Kombat. Okay. It's the people making the sounds, the sounds for Mortal uh, Kombat. The <laughs> coolest thing. Because, you know, like all the, um, all the fight scenes and stuff like that, yeah. where they're like uh, breaking bones and like um, organs and stuff like yeah. that. It's so funny watching them do like one of them. They're um, the guy's like eating a banana, yeah, and he's just eating it like all viciously. And that's the noises of like a body part, or yeah. um, they take like three or four celery sticks and break them at one time. And that's that's supposed, bone, yeah, that's bones breaking. Mm. I'm like, man, that's so cool. <laughs> there was one instance I, I saw of a sound engineer who worked for The Bachelor and how he referred to the intimate scenes being one of the more tricky ones. Because, of course, you, you're not in there um, as they're being intimate, but you have mm. to recreate the intimate scenes um, that the camera's counting from afar. And um, <laughs> he would just make these weird kissing sounds and, and eat random things just to just to uh, make the sound. And it was always funny. <laughs> yeah. that's. So. I mean, it's kind of a, a weird thing to have to, you know, think about trying to recreate. Yeah. And, um, I mean, even like I was talking about, like the guy eating a banana, like mm-hmm. like fruit noises, you, you don't really think about those things sounding like that yeah. until – like you see somebody doing it and that's yeah. where you're talking about like the senses. Like mm-hmm. you have to really use your senses to right. figure out like, what am I actually listening to? Yeah. Like I, people who have been posting like random videos of just like a, um, a noise, it'd be like a blank screen, mm-hmm. but a noise. Yeah. And then they'd be like, what do you think this noise is? And then they'll show you the video of what you're actually listening to. Mm. And it'll throw you off yeah. because you know, we're so used to hearing sounds associated to certain things. We're mm-hmm. like, but and then also we're also so used to those who us who can hear and can see. Right. We're so used to seeing and hearing at the same time. Yeah. So when you can only do one, it kind of throws you off. You're yeah. Like, Wait a minute. What what am I hearing? Exactly. Or what am I looking at right now? Because mm-hmm. I can't I can't see you know I can't hear the people talking. Like, I don't I don't know what's going on. Yeah. Exactly. So it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I, let me fit the switch. Um, go ahead. So uh, what do you do professionally? And and. How has your experience been from high school to now uh, finding your path and uh, what path do you desire to take as you progress? So I've taken a, a many a roads, as I said, I've experienced plenty of things. But so when I graduated high school, uh, I knew I wanted to go to college, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And then I ended up uh, going to Jacksonville State University. And I'm from Alabama. Okay. Cool. I just moved here in 2019. Nice. But um, I went to Jacksonville State University and I did business management. 
So when I graduated, I was like, I knew I wanted to run a business, but I didn't know what. And then um, I didn't, <laughs> and I joined the Air Force. Okay. So um, in the Air Force, I ended up living in Minot, North Dakota for about three and a half years or so. Nice. And then um, when I got out, I went and worked for a company that does um, like cell phone towers, like okay. uh, installing like 5G. Nice. On, it was actually on uh, like telephone poles. Okay. And then um, I got a call for a program that teaches people like PLCs. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you know what that is? I don't. I was going to ask. It's programmable logic controllers. Gotcha. So it's basically, it's usually used in manufacturing. Gotcha. So like uh, if you ever see like a manufacturing line where things are just getting made, like chocolates gotcha. or yeah. honey buns, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, though, all those conveyors and everything are controlled by a PLC. PLC. So basically all it is is just like your average, you know, computer. Yeah. It's, and you it's can just, automate it to certain controls and logistics. Nice. Exactly. So, um, that's what I do. That's actually my day job is nice. I work for Owens Corning, the shingle manufacturer. Gotcha. So um, I've, I've done that. But while I was also in the Air Force, the backtracking, um, I met a guy who does music. His name is Leek. And I started learning from him, like how to make beats, mm -hmm. how to record um, vocals and stuff like that. And I was like, all right, this, this is what I want to do. I want to do yeah. this too. So um Anyway, so now back to fast forwarding. I started learning how to do music and make beats and record vocals. And then, you know, I was getting um, into rapping. And then um, one day I was <laughs> I was with um, my wife and we were just talking about um, shooting a music video. Okay. And I knew a guy that uh, did videos and he charged like $750 for a music video. And I was like, man. That's that's a good bit of money. And then uh, she was like, why don't you just buy a camera? And then you can just shoot all the videos you want. Right. I was like, dang, you're right. <laughs> so that's what I did. And then, you know, I just started uh, trying out videos and started trying out photography and stuff like that. And then the the problem was somebody told me I was pretty good at it. <laughs> ah, <yeah. laughs> that's where it started. <laughs> And then, you know, I just started to get better at it and which it was a thing where like, I knew I needed to be good to help myself, right. you know, to help uh, my image and all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. for the music business. And so, uh, that's when I started doing that and, but I wasn't doing it like all the time. Right. I, I basically just did it when I needed to do it. Mm -hmm. So if I needed something to post online or, or if I needed a music video, that's when, you know, I would just learn all these things so I could, you know, be able to do that kind of stuff. Well, um, yeah, that's that's how I have grown into, you know, the music and, mm -hmm. and also photography and videography. And now I have the podcast. Nice. And um, when did I do? I think in 2020 is when I did my first audio book. Gotcha. Um, somebody told me about a website called ACX. Mm -hmm. And ACX is a website where you can... Um, you basically just sign up and it's and it's free. And ACX, I think, is owned by Audible. And gotcha. Audible is owned by Amazon. Right. But um ACX basically is a website where you get to search for like uh authors who have a book that they need uh an audiobook to be recorded. You know, recorded. Yeah. So um 
basically you just search like, you know, whatever book that you want to do. So if you're into mystery, you can just search mystery books. Mm. If you're into horror or if you're into nonfiction, you just search, you know, those type of books. And the pretty cool thing is they have to give you a sample so that you can read and then send it to them. Right. Well, sometimes if it's a really short book, they'll send you the The whole book. book. So now you got a bunch of free books that you can just read. Right, nice. <laughs> but um, yeah, I I did. So my, not my first, but the first book that um, I got hired for, I auditioned for a book and they were like, hey, um, we don't want you for this book, but there's another book we want you for. Mm. And so I was like, all right, cool. Yeah. I got turned down, but then. You got another gig. So yeah. Great. Well, that book ended up being about emotional intelligence, mm. and it was a fantastic book to read. I can only imagine. I was really happy to read it, and um, I got that out, and then um, one of my good friends, he uh, publishes books uh, under, I think it's called like The Fifth Estate or something like that, <clears throat> but um, he does a lot of like uh, religious books. And so he wanted me to read a book called The Negro Bible, The Slave Bible, and it was about uh, the story behind it is basically, um, I guess, like slave owners didn't want uh, black people to have, I guess, all the stories of um, confidence and success mm. and overthrowing your ruler and yeah. um, and faith and hope. Yeah. So they took those stories out of the Bible mm. and they gave them the rest of it. Uh, That's the Negro Bible. I so um, I read that book. Okay. <laughs> it was it was really long. I think it was like for me it was long. I like reading books in the like one twenty to probably less than two hundred pages. pages. Uh, but this book was probably like I think it was like five hundred and something pages. Yeah. And I read it or recorded it. Mm-hmm. I had to read it, but I did it all in I want to say like a month and a half. Wow! And it's so different than reading. For, for pleasure. Yeah. When you're reading for a job, it's like, I got to knock this out. Yeah. And, you know, I, I didn't have to knock it out in like a month and a half. You know, number one, I knew the guy. But number two, uh, he actually had hired somebody to do the book. And they kind of like fell through. Like mm. they, they weren't, I think he said they t- were taking like over a year. Yeah. And they still hadn't given him the book. And I was like. I can't let them down. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. I've got to do this quick and do a good job. So, um, yeah, I knocked it out in like a month and a half. And that's so I've done two audio books, wow. been doing photos and videos. And, you know, me and um, the guy downstairs, Ryan, mm-hmm. uh, we started this place, um, Damage Media Group. Nice. You know, he does audio and I do audio. And I was, and I decided to bring my photography and videography to the table mm-hmm. and decided to create a media company. Nice. So, yeah, that's <laughs> wow. my, my life from high school to now in a nutshell, pretty that's, much. That's pretty cool. You know, I, I always have an appreciation for those um, with voices, um, particularly voices that are suitable enough that uh, people want them to record their audiobook. Um, how does one train and prepare for a, a project like that? I would say, I would say just read out loud. Mm. So that was something I wasn't used to doing. Like when I read, I'm just reading in my head. So when I had to do the audio book, I didn't, (laughs) I didn't realize how many mistakes I make when I read. Yeah. I, when I'm reading out loud and I'm, it's recording, you can, 
I have to literally hear myself mess up. Yeah. So when I'm like going back and doing the editing, I was like, dear God, am I dumb? Like, <laughs> why, why did I mess up this many times? Right. But yeah, just read out loud and learn. That's crazy. And read those books that are 200, 300 pages long mm-hmm. because you start to get bogged down with the fact that you are like so focused. Like mm-hmm. reading is one thing. Like, Usually when I read, I'm like my brain energy just like either ramps up and I'm like, and I'm fully awake and I'm just immersed in this book Mm. or I get really sleepy. It's one of the two. Like I'm either about to take a nap or I'm about to stay up for like another three hours. Right. It's one of the two. But um, yeah, like you're, you just get kind of drained from just like being so focused on like not messing up. Yeah. Because the less you mess up the less edits you have to do. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know, when you're doing a video shoot, Mm -hmm. you don't want to mess up a shot. Right. So the less, you know, mess ups you have, the less shots you have to take. Right. And that's, that's the same way with reading. Like you just want to focus on every single word and you just, you're so, um, you know, into that, those pages and every single word and every letter Mm -hmm. that your brain is just like, you know, on overload at that point. So yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, it's kind of like running. Nice. You know, you if you're training for a marathon, you don't just do one mile mm-hmm. every single day and think you can go run 13 miles or 26.2 um, over a long period of time. Yeah. You, you got to, you know, do a little bit more just to get your body used to to doing something that's such long-winded. So yeah. Th- yeah. I would say that would I, and again, I'm giving you all this advice. Mm-hmm. I didn't do that at all. <laughs> <Not> really? <laughs> but that is my advice now mm. that I've that I've done those things. Yeah. I'm like, man, I wish I had done that yeah. before. Because as I said, I did the one book on emotional intelligence. And I think that book was around 200 pages, mm-hmm. maybe less. And then I jumped to a 500-page book. I'd never read a 300-page book mm. in my life. And then I had to read a 500-page book for money. Yeah. It was yeah. it was crazy. But I'm just such a determined type person. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was somebody who I knew and somebody I liked that I was like, I've got to do a good job. Yeah. And I've got to give it to them quick. It was crazy that I did it in a month and a half for myself. You know, yeah. other people like, it, dang, dang, it took you a month and a half to read 500 pages? Yeah, so what? But, um, yeah, it's something that you should definitely – um, prepare for mm-hmm. if you think that you can't handle like some people just can't concentrate for yeah. that long. But I, I'm the type of person who can if I'm really interested in it. Mm-hmm. And I would definitely say that's something you should do. Just yeah. read out loud and read more than what you think you'll do. So if you only want to do like a um, hundred pages or so books, then read two hundred page books yeah. out loud, mm. and that will definitely get you acclimated. Mm. You know that's crazy because I do that already. Oh, okay, um, so I there's a crippling fear that I I have, and I I've recognized it subconsciously, but of of not being understood. And when I'm engaged in a conversation with someone, and I can't explain myself, and and that desire to do to improve my explanations. Um, how that contributes to me stumbling on a word and and just getting nervous in general. It just generates a fear that I dislike. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like to, an anxiety builds up in you. Exactly, exactly. And I can't control it. And I um, tried to combat that by joining Toastmasters, and I did. So um, in December um, of last year, 
not last year, but the year before, I joined International Toastmasters. Um, there was a, a what branch. Is uh, so Toastmasters is essentially an organization that's designed to um, improve public speaking. Oh, so oh, there is cool. um, each week um, there is a meeting that is held, and um, each individual is, is assigned a particular role, and the role is is different each week. Um, one week you may be one of the public speakers. Um, Next, you may be an evaluator. Is this um, online or in person? Yeah, um, online. Some in person, but mm-hmm. since COVID, um, a lot of it transitioned to virtual meetings. Um, and my experiences have all been virtual. Um, and but yeah, many roles. I mean, one of my favorite roles was was the toast. Uh, what was it? Table topics master, which is mm-hmm. uh, and table topics within this meeting is is the. Uh, time and plays where we practice impromptu speech and okay. we, someone creates a, a topic and you have to speak for two minutes about it. Um, but yeah, um, Toastmasters is an international organization that's designed to improving public speaking. Um, so I started that and uh, I enjoyed it a lot, but then I got too busy um, and I wanted to continue to improve my public speaking and not be stifled by a lack of time and, and how that detracts from my ability to engage within this organization. So I began to just read books out loud. Um, and this helped a lot, uh, not only with me understanding um, words and and uh, improving my pace when I speak and, and ensuring that I focus on what I say and how I say it as opposed to just trying to quickly get something out. Um, and I still struggle with this. I'm sure um, many people may notice based on <laughs> me speaking now, but um, it, it was be, it was really interesting, and I continue to do it um, and read out loud to this day. So, in fact, when I was up here as I was preparing for the interview, I began to read out loud just to, just to ensure that I was prepared and my vocal cords were warmed up. So, wow, I'm really inspired by the fact that your success was based on this process that I'm 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 doing. So that makes me feel a little bit a little bit better about myself. Yeah, and as I said, like just doing things prepares you for other things. Yeah. So um, you being a PA, I'm sure you have to talk to people. Right. I'm sure you've got to communicate things. Exactly. Um, projecting your voice. So again, I was in the military and uh, at one point I had to be a thing called a red rope. Gotcha. And so it was in, after basic training, mm-hmm. I had to go to um, Wichita Falls, Texas. Gotcha. And there uh, is my tech school. So my tech school is where I learned my job. I was uh, aircraft armament system. So I mm-hmm. loaded bombs on the uh, B-52. Mm-hmm. So um, I decided to become an airman leader. And it's basically like out of all the people that were in our squadron, like our group, um, basically they had certain people who are airman leaders. And they were like not in charge of, but like they had to – they were like the guidance of everybody. Mm. So, I mean, I guess you could say in charge because like there were certain things that we had to do where we had to lead everybody. Yeah. So uh, you had green ropes. There was a large amount of green ropes. Um, I'd probably say usually like 12 or so. Mm. And then you had yellow ropes. Gotcha. And it was probably about half, maybe six or fewer. And then there was one red rope. Okay. Well, um, Usually a red rope was there for probably like maybe three weeks or so because in tech school, uh, the shortest I think was like maybe three weeks, maybe gotcha. a month. And, and what, what are the purposes of these ropes? The purpose of the ropes is to help people have like somebody to look to. Gotcha. So 
um, everybody there in the mil- in the Air Force, we had like E1 to E9 Fantastic. is like your rank. And I think we had like four E5s, which is like staff sergeants. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think we had just a um, E7 was a master sergeant. So um, the master sergeant's like the flight chief. So they're over everybody. They're in charge of that entire squadron. Mm-hmm. Well, um, when they aren't there, <laughs> when all those people aren't there, mm-hmm. they need to have some leaders within the squadron to make sure people just aren't doing dumb stuff right. and to help people do what they need to do. Yeah. So um, the green ropes are like, you know, the people who pretty much just got there and mm-hmm. want to become an airman leader. And then the yellow ropes have been there for a little longer. And then the red rope is like the person who's probably been there the longest. And um, they are basically – you have a choice. If you want to be a green rope the whole time, you can. Yeah. Or if you want to be a yellow rope, you know, you, you choose to to rank up. It's right. completely up to you. But anyway, so I was a red rope for a really long time because nice. my tech school was longer than what most people do. It was like – I think it was like four and a half months. Okay. So um, my flight chief actually – like one time he gave somebody the red rope and he, he came up to me and he told me to come here and he was after he had did it. And I was like, well, oh, this is weird. I don't know what he wants, but he was like, I really wanted to make you the red rope, but you're going to be here for way too long. And here's that train that I was talking about. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but, um, Oh yeah. Yeah. It gets loud. But, um, he was like, yeah, I really want to make you the red rope, but I can't because you're going to be here for way too long. Yeah. And I was like, all right, cool. So I think he waited like a couple weeks after that guy got the red rope and then he left and then I became the red rope. Good. Well, um, while I'm the red rope, mm-hmm. I have to march the entire squadron. Okay. It's like 300 and something people. Mm-hmm. And I have to literally project my voice over like, you know, a, I would say we had how many people? I want to say it's like eight rows of people or, mm. or, or more than that. Wow. So um, when I'm projecting my voice, I have to learn how to be loud and not sound like I'm angry. Yeah. Which is, it was new to me because like I don't yell. Like yeah. I, I don't like being mad at people. I'm a very like calm person. It takes a lot to make me mad. Mm-hmm. So like yelling without just sounding like I'm pissed off was different. So that's when I had to really learn how to like project my voice and stuff like that. So when I'm doing the books and everything, I'm learning how to like control my voice and, and learning how to just, you know, speak to people. uh, I mean, like speak in a manner of like in in different ways. So I've auditioned for a bunch of different books and I've also um, auditioned for like voice acting and it's fun. Like mm-hmm. it's fun learning how to use your voice. Yeah. And I would definitely suggest, um, what is it? I just found out about a website. It's called, I think it's voices one, two, three. Okay. And, um, I don't know if you have to pay to like do it, but there's another website called voices.com. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to pay like 500 bucks, but, um, with that payment, it's like a per year, mm-hmm. uh, with that payment, you, they like, they send you and you can also look for, uh, jobs in, in voice acting. And I mean, these are like, it could be some Joe Schmo who needs, 
uh, need somebody to be a voice actor for a, a show they're doing or a cartoon they have. Yeah. Or it could be literally like NBC yeah. needing a, a voice actor or something. It's a big range. But I think if you land a job, the least you can make is like $150. Like nice. they, they don't allow people to pay you less than that. Mm. So I guess that's the the positive part of paying that 500 bucks just to get in. Yeah. But um, yeah, I would definitely suggest to anybody to just – Practice that because it practices your social skills of projecting your voice, mm-hmm. um, talking in a manner that's uh, number one proper. Because you have to, if you have to talk that certain way, and like people have to hear you, yeah, and understand you, then you're gonna have to, you know, have good English or whatever. Right. right. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's that's some of my best advice for that nice. kind of stuff. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. I'll make sure that I um, I'll go back and listen to the podcast and write those down, or I'll even get it from you, so I can yeah, yeah. so I can get involved with that. So, is there like, did you want to do um, voice acting in particular, or like reading books, or just like I- anything particular? It, it wasn't uh, anything particular. I just my main goal was just to improve my public speaking. Okay. Um, but I mean, I feel as if, and I think that. I, I speak pretty well, yeah, yeah. and I feel as if um, with the right resources, I can be successful in it. And it, like you said, experiences, all the experiences that you have contribute to the next next experience. Yeah. So I figure that maybe one day I may benefit from um, having gone and, and attempting to learn more about voice acting. So, yeah. Do you get out much? Like, do you go places? Yeah, uh, too much, actually. <laughs> and I, I think that as a photographer and, and being in the film industry and consistently having to capture um, individuals, whether it's with a still image or on video, um, I, I have to talk to people consistently. So, Yeah, I think that's that's the key. Yeah. Like, I still get really nervous around people, and but you can't really tell because I know how to compose myself yeah and like (laughs) one thing i've noticed when i get nervous i it's like um i can't talk loud Mm. it's it's (laughs) it's so strange because i know how to project my voice and everything but when i'm nervous uh you ever have a dream where you have to fight somebody but Mm -hmm. your punches are like super slow you can't punch (laughs) right that's how my voice is when i get Uh. nervous like i'm it's like i'm trying to talk loud but i can't I know exactly what the feeling. It's super strange. <laughs> yeah. Super strange. Wow. <laughs> but, you know, it's, I've even, I listened to a podcast. I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast. Okay. And he had on, um, what's that band called? I don't think it's the Black Stripes. I think it's Black something. I don't know. Okay. But it's a very famous band. Mm-hmm. And the guy in the band said he has really high anxiety. And Joe was like, whoa. Like you're you're so and so, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're you're famous and you you're on stage all the time. How do you have anxiety? But he's like, yeah, yeah I just I just have it. You yeah, know, it's, it, it bothers me. But I think if all like artists and performers were honest, like we'd find out a lot of them have anxiety and they probably deal with it with either alcohol or drugs, mm-hmm. and that's how they're able to just go out there and just do it. Yeah, and it's really sad because. Mm-hmm. Like you hope that they can find ways to deal with that mm-hmm. without having to, you Rely know, do on substances. Yeah, and other substance things. abuse. It's it's unfortunate, but that's how some people their brain is is just overtaking their their body and not allowing their body to do what they want to do. Yeah. Wow. That's pretty interesting. 
Do you ever feel like, you know, you just can't function because you're you're so nervous about something? Um, I I think it's seldomly that I can't function. Of course, I I do experience social anxiety to a high degree in, in a lot of instances, but I think I go into this bend mode that I call it, where yeah. I, I, I know that there are some things that I can't change and some things that I can. So if, if I focus on things that I can change to the best of my ability, then eventually I'll reach a state of homeostasis that allows me to be less nervous. Mm. Um, so even if, if I'm fearful or, or, or timid or afraid, I know that... Um, Wallowing in that fear uh, doesn't really do anything. So just continue to progress with what you can do, and and um, and you can find ways and, and use rhetoric and and um, and persuasiveness to take the, the attention off of you, and uh, and that can also reduce uh, the amount of nervousness you have. And as you progress towards uh, being less nervous. I mean, I mean, I think that's a nice distraction. So I think I, I just combine my ability to to focus on what I can change, and also um, identify how people think and um, how attention um, is directed. Um, I use all of those systems collectively to kind of negate it. So yeah, I think there's something in comfort that people um, don't take advantage of. I'm I'm a huge uh, advocate for just making sure people feel comfortable. Yeah. Like I want to make sure that when that person meets me or they come into a room, like in a podcast or something like that, that they don't feel like, you know, they have to act a certain way or, yeah. or do or say certain things. Uh, that's, that's why I like my podcast with like, you know, I tell people you can say whatever you want yeah, because I want them to not feel like they're walking on eggshells yeah. the whole podcast. And also just like when people don't, feel comfortable mm-hmm. they aren't themselves right because they overthink everything mm-hmm. they they don't move the way they want to move right and at the end of the event they're like ah i should have said this yeah. or, ah, i should have said that because they weren't thinking straight the whole time right so they end up not being who they truly are mm-hmm. so that's why like my first thing is let me make sure this person feels comfortable you know yeah. that's why i got a good sturdy table. Yeah, nice and sturdy. It's fun to play with. <laughs> yeah, dude, my last table was like a glass table I got off Wayfair. Uh-huh. And um I would I did my podcast at my house. Mm-hmm. So, um I had a like a, a pitcher of water. It was like a Brita filter um water container and I had glasses for everybody. Well, everybody would take that glass, they take a sip of water and then they go <laughs> and place the glass because they didn't want to shatter it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, I've got to get a new table because people don't feel comfortable putting the glass down yeah. for that one reason. Mm. That's That made me like really want a good sturdy table. Yeah. And it's those little attentions to detail that people need to have in their everyday life yeah. to just make them better at things. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you know Deion Sanders. Yep. He had a saying that people always remember is, uh, you look good, you feel good, you play good. Right. And and that's just the epitome of how, you know, I like to do things. Like, mm-hmm. I want to make sure that, you know, if, if I feel good, then I'm going to be able to perform my best. Right. If I don't feel good, you know, if I feel like um, I ate something, my stomach just feels horrible, mm-hmm. or if I have a headache, or if... You know, if I'm hungry, if I got to pee, like, I'm not going to feel the way I need to feel. And I'm not going to perform the way I need to perform. So that's why I always, like, you know, comfort first. And then I'm going to be able to do the things I need to do. Yeah. Makes sense. 
It does. I mean, when you're able to do those kind of things, it it definitely helps you. Um, I guess just do more mm-hmm. because if if you aren't comfortable, then you're not gonna. You know why? Why should I continue to do? You know different things. So if if you were being a PA mm-hmm. and um, people just made you feel bad, like they made you feel dumb, like you didn't know what you were doing. Yeah, you would probably never want to be a DP. Exactly. That yeah. that's that's how I feel for for anybody who is in you know a certain career field or mm. whatever. Like just just be comfortable yeah. and and if you feel like you're in a position where you aren't comfortable, you mm-hmm. know whether it's your job or or whatever, like find a way to be comfortable so that you can. Uh, so that you can progress yeah. and that you can um, learn more mm-hmm. to, to do better. So. Yeah. I'm automatically contemplative of, of a psychology idea or theory. Uh, I believe by a psychologist by the name of Maslow. Um, and I believe it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm-hmm. And it talks about how your ability Bring to... Bring the mic a little closer. Yeah, yeah. It talks about how... Um, I can't even remember the, the unique components of this hierarchy but there's this pyramid and at the very base portion of the pyramid there's um basic needs like food and water and, mm-hmm. and shelter and the things that allow you to uh, feel comfortable enough to have the comfort to um begin to experience love and appreciation with people mm-hmm. in the environment and then once you have that love and appreciation you're able to use that to um do some self-development and, and go forward and in, in any venture and endeavor in life and then those endeavors allow you to then mentor to others and, and build upon others. And I wouldn't would never be able to reach these upper levels where I'm able to enjoy the spaces I'm in and and connect with others without being comfortable enough to have food and water and shelter and security. So um, I agree a hundred percent, and I think of that. So yeah, I mean, just look at societies, ancient societies to societies now. If you just look at the richest cities, you'd be like, oh, I bet they got food. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, they got tall buildings. Right. But they're not hungry. Yeah. So, you know, once you knock out those things, mm-hmm. you, know, you got food and you got water, you got nice place to sleep. Mm-hmm. I bet those people are going to have nice things. Yeah. Like if um, I had on Matt Qualls the the other night and um, we were talking about um, him living in San Francisco. Like, I bet San Francisco has nice things because it's expensive. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and... um. He was just talking about how expensive it is. I was like, man, that's crazy. But like you've you've got to if if you live in a place that things are expensive, you you're gonna want to have something worth your money. Right. And if you aren't in a place where like, you know, the stuff is nice, if like, you know, people who live in the ghetto, mm-hmm. you know, they live in a, a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. They probably aren't happy all the time. They're yeah. probably depressed, right. and that's that's why it's yeah. because their environment isn't allowing them to be happy, to experience life, mm-hmm. to do, to have nice things. Like you're not going to find a, a Whole Foods or a Publix in a in a bad neighborhood, right? No. <laughs> right? Nobody's skipping around drinking their kombucha doing that. <laughs> so it's 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 something to be said about having you know that that sense of comfort, the, the sense of having my needs met mm-hmm. so that I can progress as a person in general. I see. But yeah. So in what instances have uh, you lacked comfort and um, do you recall any situations that were detrimental because of this lack of comfort? I would definitely say like experiences in the military. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's actually really funny because 
I eat a lot. Like I eat a, not like a lot at I can one tell. time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't eat a lot at one time, but um, I like to eat often. So gotcha. like I'm constantly hungry. Yeah. Well, um, in the military, you eat breakfast, you eat lunch, you, you eat, eat dinner. dinner. That's it. <laughs> so there's one time I think we usually ate at like five thirty, six p.m. and you know. And we didn't stop doing stuff until like nine. Mm. So it was like eight or nine one time and I was starving mm. and it hit me. I'm like, oh my God, I can't eat again until <laughs> <laughs> breakfast. <laughs> and so, you know, I was just, I was upset. Mm. You know, I I didn't feel like I was going to be okay. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. I'm, I'm just hungry. Right. That's it. Like nobody hurt me nobody you know hurt my family members Mm -hmm. you know nobody stole my money i just can't eat yeah and that's it's you know it completely threw me off i didn't know what to do but you know i just had to like realize like hey everybody else is going through the same thing yeah you're you're not special you're not the only one Mm -hmm. that's hungry so (laughs) it's that that was the one instance where i just had to really like realize the situation i'm in and be like hey you're you're just hungry yeah you'll get food it's just gonna be a little while so uh, I, mean, I bet it is aggravating when you when you're in the system that um, kind of takes away your control and you can't eat freely. But like you said, you um, you focus on things that you could change and the things that you couldn't. You just let it go. Yeah, um, I think that was inspiring, and I relate a lot to that. Nice. Is there something that you haven't done that you really want to do that's completely out of the normal? Like you, you know, like like the basketball thing. Yeah, like you, it's just something different. Hmm, that's a good question. Some things that I haven't done that I want to do. Um, I, of course, travel. I know that I've. Spent, Where do you want to go? I'm not sure. Okay. I, I feel as if if I experience more of the world, I have a better perspective to know what I want to experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's tricky, right? You yeah. Gotta go places to go places. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and to have an awareness of what I do and don't want. Yeah. And just like the the very thing you said earlier about how your experiences add to the others um and i have been so fixated on self-development and and going to school and now going forth with my career um that it's tremendously difficult to have a life filled with traveling um unless your field requires it Mm. um while still attaining the same progression that I, i i seek um, so I'm currently trying to find the right balance between uh, work and play so that I can enjoy work and, and live in comfort uh, while also traveling and doing things like that. So, um, And it, I, my desire to travel more hasn't really um, existed until I connected and I, I got with my girlfriend and, and she loves to travel and mm. she hates to be in one place at, at a set period of time for a set period of time and and. Um, she also talks about how beautiful the world is and how beautiful people are. Um, and I love people. So I figured that if I can do things like travel where I can find new places and enjoy beauty um, and being a photographer, I love how the world looks. Um, I can also be around people and I love people. And uh, I'm also going to want to eat and I yeah, love yeah. food as well. So all these things um, collectively will probably make great experiences. So I think once I begin to travel, well, I would say, yeah, I would want to travel more and experience more of the world that I don't traditionally see. So, One thing I would definitely encourage is, like, I know you like taking photos, and photos is great, and I know you're getting into videography. 
that is the one thing I would do is document mm. as much as possible. Like I know sometimes um, people, we, we just forget to actually document our experiences. Right. And in the world nowadays of social media, everybody thinks of documenting as, oh, you're just taking that photo or you're just taking that video so you can post it. Yeah. But sometimes you just need to take photos and videos for yourself. Yeah, to capture those memories that you can't have otherwise. Yeah, like the invention of the computer and the photo and the, the camera has made it to where our brains can you know, relax, yeah. <laughs> you know, we don't have to hold those memories up here and, you know, we only have so much memory we can access. Yeah. But if we are able to just, you know, take photos, take videos as much as you can when you travel and stuff, because I know, well, like, uh, let's see, where did I was in eighth grade and I went to Ecuador mm-hmm. and I didn't take a freaking camera. I was so mad like mm. afterward, like when I got older, because I realized I was like, Oh my God. Like <laughs> I saw all these, like I remember them. Like I remember all the images in my head. Some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my life. Mm. But I was like, I wish I had a photo yeah. to just go back. And like, even if it was a freaking, like, you know, the, what do you call those photos where you like would scroll to like, um, is it a film, like a film camera? I, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like though they were like disposable. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. With the rolls in them. Yeah. Yeah. Those, those cameras, um, were so, um, I guess just convenient. Yeah. And I, I definitely could have took one of those mm-hmm. to just take photos while I was there. But that's something I, I definitely suggest to people when they go travel, because number one, um, me and my wife, we like to travel a lot. And when we go places, we'll like eat at a great restaurant or something like that. And then we'll completely forget that where we were, like we'll, we'll talk about something like, yeah, remember that time we did this and did yeah. that? We were like, where were we? Yeah. <laughs> we didn't even remember where we were because um, when you do those things, everything just kind of jumbles together. And yeah. Memory is only so good. So. Right, right. And I think that's one reason um, photography is an art that will never die. Not only because it's it's great for marketing and and and, and sharing the world that we have and and spreading an awareness and, and, and creating a different perspective for those that don't see what we see. But it also allows us to just capture the the euphorias of today and and store them for redistribution in the future. Um, and I think those memories are kind of like uh, when we talked about sounds, uh, like sounds in movies and and games and soundtracks. I mean, those those memories can do great things for our subconscious. And I, I think that um, the difference between having those memories and not is a picture, and it's a simple thing to capture a picture. So might as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Like when you're able to uh, capture those moments and we were t- talking about like sounds triggering memories, like, you know, just seeing, seeing a moment in front of your face, mm-hmm. like, you know, can, can just make you feel great. Like um, sometimes when you just are scrolling through your phone, you're looking for something specific, but you, you'll stop. You're like, Oh, Oh man, I, yeah. I remember that. That was, that was nice. Or, right. You know, things like that. The technology that we have today mm-hmm. just makes it just makes life a little sweeter because mm-hmm. that we can uh, revisit those moments and yeah. stuff like that. I can't wait for time travel. <laughs> All right. <laughs> if we can have time travel, I'll be extremely excited. But I'd come back to this moment right here. <laughs> <laughs> just being able to, you know, um, realize like, hey, this thing happened, and that I think what 
like if if we were able to have time travel, mm-hmm. I think we wouldn't appreciate moments as as much mm-hmm. just because we know we could revisit it. Yeah. But like now that since we don't have it, it's you know, we have to take care of the the moments that we have with, you know, with people and with um you know, friends and family because, you know, it's you've got that moment and that's it. You yeah. Know, you, you don't have anything else. Right. So um, I, that's why I always suggest people like, yo, take photos, take videos, mm-hmm. um, document as much as you can, right. because when you're older and you want to think about those memories again, you got them. You yeah. Know, you, exactly. All you got to do is just save them. Yeah. Yeah. I agree 100%. Um, so what is some stuff that you are working on or, uh, plan on working on? So, um, I'm working a lot with Prince and James Productions, the production company that I started working with once I began to go more into entrepreneurship. And it's been a miracle for me, um, just to be in the space. And a few projects I worked on this year, I told you about a documentary, um, there's this producer named April Martin, and she's a, a film student getting her doctor. I forget what, what institution, um, but she's um, capturing this documentary um, and following the life of a black midwife um, and also a family who's preparing or actually just had their third child, um, and it was a home birth, and also just going into the lives of, of people that experience the disparities that come from reproductive health and and how sometimes in certain communities, specifically those that are are black, um, there are systems that don't really um, put us at the forefront. Yeah. Um, in hospitals in general, um, a lot of times it's it's indicated that um, the, the patient isn't at the forefront and they're not cared for, but it's about efficiency and the comfort of the physician. Mm. And... Um, Birth is a very fragile time, and there's a lot that comes with it. And um, it was, it's been really inspiring to identify how these healthcare professionals, um, as they prepare to um, bring life into the world, how they approach the best way to care for the mother, the, the father, and the family, and and just the services that they they're able to receive. Um, so that's a project I've worked on capturing audio for. Um, got the gig through Jason Thibodeau, the gentleman that the DP that I re- referenced earlier, and it's been really inspiring. Um, I'm also preparing to uh, produce a stage play. Oh, um, nice. Princess James Production. He has this soulful mystery experience. Uh, it's this cool venue and, and this event that allows you to come. And you can listen to live music and listen and watch a stage play. Very humorous, very much improv heavy. And you never know what to expect. There's great food. There's drinks. Um, and that's been really fun, being in an artistic space, uh, especially when I consider myself not artistic in some senses and not an actor or 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 one that can perform on stage, but still being able to contribute to a project that allows people to receive joy and healing and, and laughter and, and just joy in general um, from performing on stage. It's been really inspiring. Um, and uh, some more projects. Um, doing a lot of photography work, um, and I, I think that the art of photography has taken me in places that I would have never expected in the past three years. Whether it's um, being, in fact, just this past week, um, I was on set uh, for a Popeyes commercial with John Morant, and oh, wow. <laughs> I got to see him uh, twiddling some some chicken fingers in his hand and dunking it in the sauce packet and, and even um, shadowing photographer that shot him and even hearing about his 
experiences with sitting and talking with Beyonce and many other popular individuals. Uh, even being able to travel to um, Asheville, North Carolina, to the Biltmore Estates, which is mm. the largest estate in the in the states in the USA, and the beauty that comes from it, and and even being on set with Moneybag Yo and Big Boogie and taking pictures of Big Boogie and and all these great artists and being around so many great people, um, it's been really cool. It's been really cool, and um, I think the goal. Well, I don't think I know the goal of Prince and James Production and some of the underlying um, organizations through the company um, is to build this a creative this creative economy in the city of Memphis. Uh, a lot of times, when projects, particularly film projects, um, are being constructed um, in the city of Memphis, they always outsource. They bring people from Atlanta or or New York or California or Texas or any other area that has a, a heavy uh, film community. And a lot of our dollars, a lot of dollars that are spent on these projects that tell the stories of um, Memphians, um, the dollars aren't spent locally; they're mm. used elsewhere. Um, so a lot of the work that we're doing now is creating this economy by having training uh, to give people the ability to get their springboard into the to the industry. Yeah, I think my success has been because I was able to find resources and and skills through the people that I I was mentored by, and um, he's Prince and James. Uh, Princeton Echoes, he, he's the CEO of the company, and he's been intentional with providing these resources for people um, to the degree that last year, the casting director and the um, the another director for Tyler Perry Studios came down and they were able to uh, watch a few actors and vocal performers perform, and um, that even allowed one of them to uh, receive a role on one of the films that Tyler Perry uh -huh. has produced. Um and even now, there are several acting classes that that are um, being prepared for kids, kids acting classes, so that kids have an ability to to get into the industry and learn about how to act and 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 perform and orate and all these other things that even if they don't want to go into film and TV, can be used and these experiences can be used to embedder themselves in the career that they decide to go in. And yeah. um, even not even just kids, but their PA classes coming up and director photography classes and sound and so much more. Um, so it's been really inspiring um, working with the company, like I said, from stage plays to capturing pictures and, and being on set with cool artists and, and just going and traveling to places that I wouldn't have been otherwise. So, All right. Well, let's try and wrap this up. Um, give everybody like all your info so they can reach out to you. Gotcha. Um, actually, hold on. One more question. Of course. Do you do uh, mainly like people, like photography for, for yeah, like, yeah, portraits? Ma mainly and stuff like portraiture. That? Okay. I've done a little real estate, um, and I've gotten more into product photography. Um, there's this hair brand that I've taken pictures for. Um, this evening, um, I may go to a friend's house and capture some some pictures of candles that she's preparing to sell. Um, but yeah, mainly portraiture. I love okay. it. And you can find most of my portraiture at my website, www.benbrownphotography.com. Uh, you can also find my Instagram with that, that same um, title, Ben Brown underscore photography. And of course, if you're looking for Facebook, just Ben S. Brown Jr. Um, but yeah, and uh, I can't remember my LinkedIn handle, but... Um, <laughs> Who does? Yeah. <laughs> unless, <laughs> no. unless you're always on LinkedIn. But. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm in the city of Memphis, so if you need me, just let me know.
Awesome. Yeah, I wanted to ask that so that, you know, when you start giving out the stuff, people know, like, what you do. Cause, yeah. Uh, as I was saying, you know, you want to focus in on what, so if people need, you know, product photography. Yeah. If, if you only did portraits, you know, you probably could do a good job. But, yeah. You know, uh, some people just don't like doing certain things. So yeah. They, they are really, like, if you're reaching out to them, they're like, I don't really do that. So. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Thank you for that. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, uh, thank for thank for coming on, and um, it was great sharing experiences and uh, and knowledge with you for sure. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate learning with you, and I look forward to seeing you and I both progress, and also the audience. Hopefully, you guys learn vicariously through this great gentleman here. So awesome. All right. Well, thank for everybody for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. All right. Peace. <laughs>